Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, brought to you by Heart and Soul Broadcasting Services. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with Amelia Chipo Mashingaize, consultant, certified life coach, and an entrepreneur. If you enjoy this conversation, remember to subscribe, to like, and share. Let's get down to some work. Amelia Chipo Mashingaize, welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you so much. Amelia, where does that name come from? My parents. Uh-huh. Uh, my father, particularly, I think. Uh, my family, uh, my, my parents as a couple had a friend that was called Amelia. I think that they enjoyed very much. And uh, when I was born, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to be given that name. But I've been studying what that name means, mm-hmm. and I appreciate it a little bit more. Um, it, it means someone who works, someone who is endowed with gifts, mm. and someone who employs those gifts. Uh, so uh, that sounds like you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it, it meant sounds like initially. You. But so, it, so Chipo, you were um, a broadcaster, yes, an advertising and communications mm. expert. You are a certified life coach and mm. an entrepreneur. Set yourself up as an entrepreneur, and yes. I, I want you to ask. I want to ask you first this question. What have been the defining moments for you in your career? Okay, I will, I will mention perhaps two or three. Yeah. The first defining moment um, was uh, when I went to university, I think. Um, I had uh, applied to study law uh, because that's what you did at that time. At that time, yeah. if you were in the arts, they expected you, if you do well, you, you study law. But during that year, the pass rate was so high, I didn't have enough points to make it into law. They were taking 14 and 15 pointers. I didn't make that with the grade. My second choice had been psychology, and the situation was just as dire for me. So you could say one of my first defining moments was failure to achieve the grade that was required for me to go the path that I'd chosen. So my, my third option was to study English and have a subsidiary subject. And I had French as one of my subsidiary subjects and psychology. So that I call a defining moment because it was a divergence from my preferred path. But with hindsight, if I had not been taken along that path, I would not have ventured into other spaces that were truly me than if I'd gone into the path that I'd selected for myself. So it defined me in that, I think, divine intervention took me away from what was popular and what would have looked better. Uh, Say, Chipo, the lawyer, would have looked better, I think, uh, in the environment that I grew up in than Chipo, the English graduate. Uh, (laughs) But looking back, the English graduate had other doors for her that opened because she was an English What's graduate. What's the lesson from there, Chico? The lesson from there is sometimes you are informed in your choices externally more than internally. Mm. I think if I had been true to self at that 
young age and had introspected, I would have honestly said law was not for me. Now, when I look at it, I would have failed dismally. I would, <laughs> I would have done well in that I'm a studious person and I, I really work hard to do what I do. And I would have succeeded to a degree. But I wouldn't have succeeded in fulfilling my purpose and my calling. And I'm big on that. Fascinating, isn't it? Yes, it is. So let me share with you, because your story almost sounds like mine. Mm. So I, when I applied to go to the University of Zimbabwe, mm. my first choice was law. <laughs> Their cutoff was eight points. Yes. I had seven points. I spent the uh, two weeks of, uh, what is it called? Orientation. Yes sulking, being sour and everything else, because I wanted to go to law. Yes. And I was checking almost every day to see if somebody dropped out mm -hmm. and I could go in. So they, they, there I was. I ended up doing economic history. I tried to do geography. The, the numbers just got me uh, the angles mm. and the degrees and whatever. I ended up doing economic history um, and history. And here I am. So just like you, yeah. God knew yes. what he'd created me for mm. and closed that door. Mm. And I thought I should be knocking that door down, but <laughs> that didn't happen. What's your, what's your next um, uh, defining moment? My second defining moment um, was post-university. Um, I studied English and as part of the English uh, course program, we had theater, yeah? We, we, we acted. And I continued to act after my degree, and I was a member of a group called Zambuko Izibuko. Mm. Yes. And um, one of our performances was at Belvedere Teachers College, and I was uh, one of the key actors. You know how you multi-role in some of these stage yes. performances? Yes. I had three roles in that performance. And ZBC was there filming it. I can't even remember why they were filming it, but they were filming that production. And at the end of the performance, the producer, Richard Mulambo, I don't know whether you yes, call I remember him. Richard yes. Mulambo, yes. He approached me and he said, um, I would like you to try for television. This is and spooky. I, I'll tell you why it's spooky, <laughs> but continue. And I looked at him and I thought, this guy, I don't know him from a power of tree. Whatever. So, yeah, but uh, why, why me out of the whole cast? And I laughed and I said, why? He said, um, you've got a TV voice. And it, that didn't mean much to me at that stage. You didn't know what that sounded like. I didn't know what that was supposed to sound like. And I said, yeah, yeah sure thing. Uh, call me. And I sort of fobbed him off. To me, to my mind at that age, it was like this young man has seen a young girl on stage yeah, and, and? He, he's found an avenue. <laughs> <laughs> he's found an entry point yeah. to start a conversation. So I, I went back to work. I gave him my work number. There were no cell phones then. I had a landline at home, but I, I wasn't going to give him that. So I gave him my uh, work number and he called a couple of weeks later and he said, there's an audition going on for a morning show called uh, Good Morning Zimbabwe. I'd like you to come and audition. I said, this guy's really serious about this. <laughs> he really wants to talk to me. I said, oh, yeah, sure, I will, I will come. On the day that I was supposed to go there, I had laryngitis. 
So I had no voice. It was good for me. I didn't want to go anyway. So I call, I asked a friend to call him and say, I can't come. I have laryngitis. He thought I was pretending, but I genuinely had laryngitis. But he persisted. Long story short, I eventually went. I remember I was coming from a stock take at my job. So I changed in the cab. <laughs> I took a cab to the station and I was sitting at the back. I had tights and stuff inside. So I just switched and changed. When I landed at ZBC, the reception area was filled with these young people around my age who looked like supermodels. Mm. And I was playing Jane. I had my little afro, no makeup, just Vaseline on my lips. And I looked around the room. I said, I'm in the wrong place. I am in the, it scared me. And I just, I started walking out. And as I turned, Richard was there. He said, oh, you're here? I said, yes, I'm here. And he said, where are you going? And I said, to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, there's a bathroom this side. So he made me make a U-turn and go back inside. Um, a week later, I was called and told I'd gotten the job. That was a defining moment mm. in that um, there's a way that you look at yourself. Yeah. And the way that you look at other people. And you position yourself. And there's and, a way that other people look at you. Yes. That you don't even recognize. Yeah. And I'd seen myself as a misfit just by looking at the people that were lined up for the audition. I thought, this is not for me. And I'd already disqualified myself. And so I was surprised when the call came and I was told, can you start? When can you start? And, and he, yet broadcasting has become part of who you are. It has become. Because Richard Mlambo picked you up yeah. and you didn't think you, 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 you fitted the bill. He was a wonderful producer. And he introduced me to presenters like um, um, uh, Georgina Godwin, you remember? Yes, oh, Georgina, Georgina Godwin. Godwin. Yeah, she she did the, the audition with me because what happened with the audition was you came in and you sat like we're sitting now. And the first part of the interview, Georgina would interview you for five to ten minutes and then you were given a break and they would tell you, you saw how Georgina Yes. Came. Can you interview her? And they would switch the roles. And that was part of the interview. In the production uh, room, of course, they would be checking out how you present, how you posture yourself, your body language and your vocal tone, your excitement and all that. They were checking all that. So, so hold your third uh, refining moment so that I share mine. Yes. Remember I said it's spooky, yes. really spooky, because I was part of the Zimbabwe Economic Society at the, whilst I was at the University of Zimbabwe, I get invited, uh, we get invited to attend a conference at the Monomotapa Hotel mm -hmm. and we're debating, you know, economics mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. And after the three-day conference, which was a regional conference, ZBC decide that they want to run a series. Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, the guys in the economics uh, Economic uh, Society of Zimbabwe, mm -hmm. say, Trevor, we want you to anchor this. And I like, I've never done this. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. I anchored that thing. Mm -hmm. It became prime viewing mm -hmm. uh, between 7 and 8 uh, in the evening. Uh, Zimbabwe's economic change or something yes, of that yes. sort. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, Ibu Mandaze came and, and, and took it over. That's how 
I was introduced to the world, to Zimbabwe. That's how I got into journalism. Isn't that spooky? Some people call it chance. I call it divine appointment. Absolutely. Your, your third defining moment? My third defining moment, I was already working in corporate and I was in um, corporate relations department, which was really public relations and a little bit of corporate marketing. And um, there was a training that was required. And our training department felt they didn't have the capacity within to run that training, but there was no budget to invite someone from without and uh, because you're friends and you're mixing at lunchtime I was talking to one of the training guys and they were saying you know we're struggling with this and I said can I give it a shot I don't even know why I said that but, <laughs> but I, I said let me give it a shot let me put together a module and let's see whether it works so I gave it a try uh, fast forward a little bit in the same court, corporate um, my CEO at the time, Lukungwe Rume. Uh, I don't know how he got wind of this. Ex-Old Mutual. Yes. And I had left uh, Old Mutual at the time, but he wanted uh, his top team to be trained in soft skills, particularly grooming, deportment, and etiquette. And he invited me. He said, you know, you did something before that I, that I enjoyed. Could you come and train us. Uh, have you ever experienced fear? Wow. <laughs> I was very fearful. I What's the lesson young. from that? The lesson people? from that is, again, people see in you what you don't see in yourself. And secondly, that we carry more within us than we realize. Mm, that's uh, powerful. The, the, we carry so much more within us. And we are so wired to only express parts of us that society permits us. And what I had to learn over time was that there are certain areas of me that I must give myself permission to express. Wow. Even if other people choose to see me only as a marketer, only as a life coach, only as this and that. Only as a journalist. Only as a journalist. I have to give myself permission to express all of me in the spheres that are opened to me. So from that time, that's when I started getting other invitations, getting referrals. And, um, and then I went and actually got licensed as a, as a life coach. And I've been doing it undercover for a long time until recent years. Because even though I knew I had to find my own space to express myself, I still had this trepidation that people know me as Chipo the Marketer. Won't I sh rock the boat too much? Won't I confuse the market? Um, and then I just decided one day, you know what? The market must be more open-minded. <laughs> the market must learn to be more open-minded. And another thing was just recognizing that if I was going through this, there are other people who have talents and skills that they want to express, and they're not expressing them because they're in the same quandary that I'm finding myself. Well, what advice do you have for, for, for people at home who are, who are experiencing what you're just talking about? Be true to you. God doesn't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. If he put it in you, there is a space that is create, created for that thing to be expressed. Mm -hmm. And there are other people waiting to benefit from that gift that you have. So you must be true to you. You must give yourself permission to express that. The only 
um, caveat I might put on that is be tactful in how you do it. Wow. I'm going to hold you there. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want us to go into uh, your stint with OK 2008 to 2013. I want us to go to ZBC, your stint 2000, 1995, 2001 yeah. and 2008. Quite a colorful uh, career you've had. So uh, at home, please don't go away. Join us after the break. As PR manager, I joined the corporate at a time where there was no stocks on the shelves. Welcome back to our conversation with uh, Emilia Chipo Mashingaidze. I like Emilia, but I know you, <laughs> you, you, are, you are cheap. So at 22, mm-hmm. you became assistant editor of Just For Me, which is a women's magazine published yeah. by Agosi yeah. uh, Press, which was uh, part of Modest Public, yes. Modest, the Modest, uh, Modest Group. You talk to me about why the choice of going into journalism and the highlights of that season of your life? Okay. You, you remember I mentioned earlier that um, um, studying English was a defining moment because what, of what unfolded later on. One of my English le- lecturers was Musa Zimunya. Mm. And his wife, Viola Zimunya, said to her husband, you teach English. I'm looking for a fresh face to come and be my number two. Hmm. Because she had just been given the job of editor of Just For Me magazine. So Musa Zimunya came and put a sort of class advert that I'm looking for, someone who's willing to to try this out. Now, uh, I'd never edited in my life, but I was a good enough (laughs) English student. So... Um, I, I approached him. I said, I'm, I'm interested. And he said to me, I think it's better for you than teaching because I think you like your space. <laughs> I didn't understand what that meant at that time, but later on it, it meant that uh, it, it actually unfolded. So that's how I went and joined Argosy Press. I was picked from a class of English students to become a trainee uh, deputy editor uh, for Just For Me magazine. So I was trained on the job at Argosy Press through the Modus group to become not only a journalist, but to also become uh, an editor uh, of the magazine. Unbelievable, again. Unbelievable. Because, no, because of what I'm going to share with you now. <laughs> this is amazing. Is there another this, parallel? Yes, there is. Well, let me share the, the parallel right now. So whilst I'm an assistant editor, uh, uh, lecturer at the University of Zimbabwe. I'm headhunted by Elias Rusike, uh-huh. the owner of Modest, Modest Publications. Publications, to deputize um, Jeff Nyarota and ah, become yes. assistant editor to Jeff Nyarota. Mm-hmm. I was never a trained journalist. I am trained on the job, yes. working under Jeff Nyarota. Incredible. What's happening here? I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, continue with your story. Yeah? Yes, so I, I became assistant editor of Just For Me magazine. What I liked about it is 
it actually revealed what Musa Zimunya had said, that you like your independence. Mm. I liked the fact that I worked with people. I'd always wanted to work with people. I worked with people. I learned a lot about people because part of my job was lining up interviews, uh, what's going to be the main story, what's going to be the support story, what's going to be the fashion story, what other things can we put in the magazine. And because of the nature of the work that was involved, I was really trained very quickly at a very young age to engage at all levels mm. of society. I could talk to a CEO and I could talk to a cleaner. Mm. It just sharpened that. My parents had already taught us that a person is a person, titles are something else. But it just cemented it in a very practical way in, in, in my profession. And it, it taught me the language that f fits each profile of person. Mm. Same message, different language, different thrust. Mm. So I was trained in more ways than just understanding the technicalities of journalism. I was l taught by experience the technicalities of human engagement. Wow. And that was very important for me. That, that was just God saying, this is, this is you. This is you. This is this your is, purpose. This is, yes. Uh, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed, mm. up to this day, I enjoy people. And then from there, you went to ZBC, am I right? I went to ZBC while I was at Old Mutual. Okay. Old Mutual, my boss, Rita Baker, when I went through what I went through with Richard um, Lambo, you know, hunting me down and insisting that I come, I approached my boss, Rita Baker, at the time, and I said, you know, there's this opportunity. And what it would mean is I would come to work late each morning. Each morning I was on duty because Good Morning Zimbabwe was from ah. 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. So I had to negotiate on the old mutual side that I come late. But I had to negotiate on the ZBC side that I leave early. <laughs> so And you managed to do it. I managed to do it. They were respectful enough. Mm. I don't know why they obliged. Mm. Mm. But um, I would take interviews from about 6 o'clock to quarter past 8. Because work started at quarter past 8 at Old Mutual. And I didn't want to be too late. And I would fly across... <laughs> <laughs> from that side to that side. Yes, from Highlands to Emerald Hill. I'd fly across so that I'd be at work at the latest half past eight, uh, quarter to nine. And why Rita obliged, she said it's reasonable for you being in public relations to have an understanding mm. of that world and to network with mm. people. We don't know what it will open up for us as a company, but mm. it's good for you to be in that So space. you did corporate communications with all mutual yes. for six years. Yes. And then two years with uh, SMM. SMM. Remind yes. me what SS, SMM is, by the way. Shabani Mashaba Mines. Mines. Yes. Uh, for, for, for two years. Yeah. When you look at that space, corporate communications, PR, uh, your experience then and what it is right now, what, what's your sense? What's changed? What's remained the same? In the corporate yeah, communication yeah. space. Mm. At that time, um, there were very few people in that space. I think it was a space that was not always understood. Uh, you were called in when there was trouble. <laughs> you were not a always called in for the strategic thinking uh, because what it is is 
you need to be able to understand where the company is going, where the entity, whether it's an NGO, uh, uh, corporate, like the corporates I've worked or whatever, even a church, you need to understand where it's going so that you can structure a strategic mm. communications direction for it, including who says what and when. Yeah. Uh, but at that time, it was more reactive rather than proactive. I find today the young people coming into the environment today have a little bit more leeway to be in the space from a strategic okay. uh, perspective. Um, yes, they, they have more space to inject into the strategic thinking. Even me sitting now, mm. uh, I, I get called in by clients to give advice from a strategic perspective. Which direction should we do take? Do they take the advice? Sometimes they do. <laughs> other times they do. <laughs> other times, <laughs> other times you, it takes a long time. And still other times you find they get into a jam after ignoring a piece of advice. And they say, call her back. Mm. Or call her back. What does that say about <laughs> the corporate sector's appreciation of um, strategic communication and the role of professional PR? I think the bigger corporates are getting it now. They've got it and they've got the right people in the right places or at least trying to get the right people in the right places. They recognize that it is actually very damaging not to have a strategic yeah. thrust in terms of your communication and be deliberate. Mm. It mustn't be incidental or coincidental. Mm. It must be deliberate so that it ties up with what you're wanting where you're wanting to position mm. yourselves, mm. not only in relation to competition, but in the eyes of your market. You want to be perceived a certain way, so you must communicate. I mean, it boils down to, if I give you as an example, Trevor, as a young man, when you were approaching a young lady, you didn't just... No. Yes, even if you had to borrow shoes to look the part. Communication is yeah. like that. You borrow the shoes mm. to look the part mm. because you want a You clean up. Yes. You want people to see you for what you believe mm, yourself to mm, be. Mm. So if you believe yourself to be a particular thing, but you don't make yourself ready to arrive looking the part, mm. you're already comprom compromising that. So the bigger corporates are seeing it. And uh, it's something that needs to... I'm surprised, Chipo, that you say that because um, I don't know whether I'm not reading enough. I'm not seeing it. My judgment is really by the number of... Uh, colleagues in the industry who have risen to certain levels okay. that you would never in the past see people in communications rise to. Mm. Um, you look at Wusi Chindo. Yeah, true. She, she said where you're sitting now. Yeah. yeah. There's no way years ago you'd have seen someone sitting in that position and saying from a communications mm. perspective, from a CS I perspective, um, that's um, corporate social investment mm. perspective, mm. let's go this route mm. and be listened to mm. and be given a budget that suits the purpose. That role. Yes. So that's why I'm saying, I mean, look at um, uh, my friend Lillian Bayoa. Yes, at Omucho. She's sitting yeah. in a position that years ago you would not have seen mm. someone sitting in there at that level. Talking. Okay, I get that, your point. You, you see my I point. I get your point. So the numbers are increasing, perhaps not at a pace that one might want, mm. but we have proof that there is a change of yeah. mindset. Yeah. Yes. And then for me, uh, watching you uh, from the 22 year old, 
uh, <laughs> rising up. The highlight for you must have been the OK Group, um, 2008 to 2013. First of all, as a, a public relations manager and then marketing manager. And of course, I'm sure you enjoyed the OK Grand Challenge. You must miss it. No, you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> I worked on it. <laughs> totally different yeah. thing when yeah. you're sitting on the inside. <laughs> I remember Albert Katsandi, yes. uh, who was my boss. When, when I was interviewed and I got the job, and I think he said it jokingly, but I didn't take it jokingly. <laughs> he said to me, um, you flopped the grand challenge. Don't even wait to be fired. Just walk out. Just go home. <laughs> Just go home. <laughs> I think it was, it, it, it was his way of emphasizing the importance, the importance of, the of that event. It was the flagship event of the OK group. It, it was really anchoring all the communications that went out. What were the, the, the learnings from that season, the OK oh. season? What were the learnings for you, the takeaways? When you're given permission to, to think and you prove your thinking capacity, you can make waves. Mm. I think in those six years, I made more waves than in all my other platforms. So I was right after all. Yes. Um, I think the other platforms, maybe I was too junior or there wasn't space for me. I performed at the level that I was given permission to perform. But when I went to OK, as PR manager, I joined the corporate at a time where there was no stocks on the shelves. Remember 2008 yes. and 2009? There was nothing on the shelves, pretty much. I remember going on my uh, induction tour and I went to Rusape uh, branch. And on the shelves were soya chunks and condoms. Wow. And everybody laughs when I say that, but that is the truth. There was hardly anything in the store. And some friends said, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to yourself? There's nothing in retail. It's not the right time to go into retail. And I said to them, if I make waves when there's nothing to make waves about, can you imagine what I can do wow. when there's something to make waves That's about? And what I did is I spent my time during my induction understanding the business, understanding what made it tick. And one of the things was we had to keep our shops open, even if there was nothing on the shelves. And the company was going through a season of um, dealing with electrical challenges, electricity cutouts and things like that. So they were putting generators in each of the stores. And during my tour of duty, I would find generators humming with nothing in the store because you had to keep the store open. And I gave myself the task of just understanding who was making money mm. and where the generators mm. should run. And I did a report which I submitted to Albert which quantified the amount of sales per branch and the amount of expenditure for the generators. And he came down to my office. He said, who did this? And I said, I did. And he walked away. But it's obviously something that they use later on because the way that fuel was allocated for the generators changed. Okay. And it just taught me that where there seems to be no work, if you look for it, there is work that you can use to change. Wow. What is going on on the ground. So that incident made me realize that I can contribute. Marketing is not just dealing with the clients. It's laying the foundation within for you to deal with the clients mm. better. But you've got to have the initiative. Yes. yes and not yes. wait to be. Not wait to be yeah, told, yeah, do this. Yeah. 
Because I could have happily sat in of my course. office and said there's no promotion. And listen to the generators. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the, the OK Grand Challenge. Uh, yeah, you said you worked, but some of us thought you were having fun. Some of us think that anybody involved with the OK, okay Grand Challenge is having fun. Well, what's the biggest takeaway for you there as a professional mm -hmm. uh, behind this big event, uh, the logistics and everything else? What, what's your takeaway? What, 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 what did you walk away with? This is that? very cliche. Teamwork makes the dream work. Okay. It's a cliche, but it's true. I had a team, a core team of four, if you like. I had my display manager, uh, who was Ishmael Marimirofa. I had my PA, Nyasha uh, Katlungure. I had Linda, who was doing the design, the internal design, um, Linda Gore. And I had Lindani, who eventually left, and then I had to take his portfolio, who was dealing with the advertising. And then we had our agency. But those four people could have, in their own spheres, made it or broken it wow. for me. So the, the key thing was we had to be a team in every sense of the word. I couldn't be boss. I had to be team mm. leader. Bosses don't get listened to. Team leaders get listened wow. to. And when you're a team leader, that means you're not only sensitive to the work, you're sensitive to the people doing the work. So if you were a member of your team, of my team, and your child got sick, mm -hmm. I landed at your doorstep and understood what you were going through so that I appreciate why sometimes at work you are tense or you are uh, not focused and you need that support mm -hmm. to say, okay, I understand. What do you need to do? Do you need to rush mm. to the hospital? Mm. So a team is sensitive. A team leader is sensitive to their, to their team. And one thing that made the grand challenge work, I'll tell you the facets of the grand challenges now, was that my team believed in me. Mm. They knew more about the grand challenge than I, especially Ishmael and Yasha and Lindani, because mm. they'd been there years before me and they'd done several grand challenges before. But because we quickly cemented a, a relationship. They showed me the pitfalls and uh, the opportunities that were there. It was up to me to, to decide what opportunity to grab and what to run with mm. and what not to run with. So the teamwork made the dream work. The, the grand challenge is a monster. I salute anyone who takes it on because it's a monster. It's, it's literally four events in what? How, how, how many years did you run it? Six years. Six years. The first year. So you took on uh, the monster actually for five, five years. years. Yeah. Yeah. Because 2018, yeah. We did, 2008, nothing happened really, uh, except the race. And 2009, pretty much the same. The mm. big one that I did was starting 2010. Mm. Mm. But uh, the the other two years, we just had the race. Yeah. Um, it's it's really for campaigns in one, four events in one, if you like. You've got the in-store campaign that starts the, the whole promotion, runs generally for six to seven weeks. And then you have, at the event itself, you have three entertainment areas or three hosting areas. You have the VVIP, where you have the top, the top 100 to 120 people. We stretched it to 120 because we had 
VVIPs who really wanted to come. People still uh, wanting to be invited, yes. yeah. And then you had the VIP, which is the infield, which by the time, at the time that I left, we were accommodating 2,500 people. And then you had the general area, the people's area, if you like, the Povo area. And um, by the time I left, I think the total event, we counted 62,000 people. Wow. That was 2012. 2012, 2013, 62,000 people. That's huge. In that. So running it, I depended on my lieutenants to be in key areas mm. with a walkie-talkie and a cell phone and a backup cell phone. And I had a walkie-talkie, a cell phone and a backup cell phone. Albert Katsande had a walkie-talkie, a cell phone, and then the people at Mashonal and Turf Club, the key people, had the same. So I had Kambudzi Kango that doesn't lose battery fast, and I had my smartphone and I had a walkie-talkie because you have to... Mm. You're still responsible. You may not be there. You're still accountable for what happens in each area. So before the event came, I did a full tour of each area. And I want to believe everyone who's ever run the Grand Challenge before me and after me does the same Mm. thing. Otherwise, it won't work. It won't work. It won't work. You have to know what's happening, who's the anchor of each of those three areas. And you have to free yourself to be fluid in a triangle. Wow. Fascinating. I'm glad I asked you that question because <laughs> I've, I've learned so much uh, from, from that. W- w- when you look back, what has surprised you the most about yourself in all those roles? What has surprised me, this might sound odd, what has surprised me the most is in spite of overcoming certain challenges in my work, in my personal life, in whatever, I still have a fear when I go to a new challenge. Mm. Mm. And they say that's uh, a healthy thing to have. Yes. Uh, one of the youngsters that I mentored asked me whether I get nervous when I MC. And I said to them, you don't know how nervous. I get so nervous. But you don't show it, eh? <laughs> In, in, in Toastmasters, they say, yeah, get the butterflies, but teach the butterflies to fly in formation. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I've taught the butterflies to fly in formation. So I said, you know what? I still get nervous, but those nerves are good. They don't make me overconfident. They make me look at all the potential areas of stress that could derail whatever I'm doing. Mm. And I work at them diligently so that they don't derail. So it's a good nervousness, but that's one takeaway that I've learned. I mean, I'm, I'm 55 this February, and I've been going at this for 31 years. I still get nervous. Mm, that's I a good still thing. get very it's nervous. Not, you're not overconfident. You don't yeah. take for granted you don't the take assignments. Granted. That, uh... The thing is, one shouldn't, because although it's the same task and you're using the same skill, remember I'm about people. Yes. You are working with a different group of people, different understanding of you, different understanding of the outcome required, and their own anxieties informed by their own backgrounds. Mm. So you're not just managing self. You're managing the bosses of the entity that you're working with. You can tell that boss is so nervous. You need to calm him down. I'll just make you laugh a little bit. When we did the Y2K program, I interviewed a person on ZT. Mm -hmm. TV. 
And I briefed him before, like we all do, make your guest comfortable. Within the first three minutes, the guy was sweating. sweating bullets. He was near collapsing. I had to stop the interview. So that's the difference. Yeah. You have to see your person and you have to look at their face and actually realize mm. whether you've got them or you haven't mm. got them. That is one. And that you're not there to embarrass them. No, you're not no. there to embarrass yeah. them. Yeah, that was one that fell through the cracks, but we made sure we mitigated before mm. he was in an embarrassing mm. situation. Mm. Chipa, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to go into your entrepreneurship. You've okay. started uh, uh, 40.7 uh, Blueprint, uh, which is a marketing and corporate communications uh, um, entity. And you've also started uh, Self Central Institute. I want yes. us to get into uh, what those uh, two companies uh, 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 do. So okay. please at home, don't go away. Join us after the break. We leave retirement planning to a very late stage. You can't start planning your retirement at 50. It's too late. Greetings. My name is Trevor Nube, host of In Conversation with Trevor, Zimbabwe's most engaging conversational show. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. We've brought before your screens change makers from arts, business, and politics and from the region. Please join our growing community of viewers. Subscribe, like, and share. Welcome back to our conversation with Chipo Mashingaide, consultant, certified life coach, and entrepreneur. Where were you born? Where did you go to school? I was born in Gwanda at Manama Mission. Mm -hmm. My mother is a Sutu woman, was a Sutu woman. She's late. And my father was a Karanga boy from Berengwa. I have no idea how they met, <laughs> but I, I suspect it's because my father was in the teaching profession. And you know how they used to move around, move around yeah. a lot. And I think that's where he saw his princess and decided to sweep her off her feet. Right. Yes. So I was born in Manama, Gwanda, at Manama Mission Hospital in Gwanda. Which schools did you go to? I went to, uh, I was in Gweru for primary school. Mwunga Primary School was my first school. Then I went to Riverside. No, that's a lie. I went to Convent. You know where uh, Regina Mundi is now? Yes. It was the Gweru Convent okay. before. And it was a primary school. Mm -hmm. So I went to the convent. But when the war was hotting up a little bit, the nuns were insecure being by themselves way out. The houses that you see today were not there. It was quite a drive out mm. of town. Mm. So we had school buses shipping us there. I rather like Eagles Vale does. Right. Yes. And uh, they closed the school when I was going into grade six or seven, grade six, mm -hmm. uh, because they felt insecure. Uh, we had bomb warnings. We had attack warnings. That was the Those drills, yeah. they said they were traumatizing the children. So mm. the school was closed and I went to Riverside for grade six. Then my father was moved when I was going into grade seven and we settled in Mashingo, which mm. is home territory. Mm -hmm. And that's where my family's been. So I went to Victoria Primary School and then Victoria High School. And then University of Zimbabwe. University of Zimbabwe. And, and talk to me about the impact that your parents had on you. What What have you carried from the memories of your formative years? My parents were both teachers. 
But I want to see them as my first life coaches. Uh, we were a family predominantly of girls with mm. just one boy. <laughs> and um, when we grew up... How many girls? Five. Five in girls. The house, yes. And, and then my brother who was the second born. When I was born, coincidentally, my father expected another boy because <laughs> I was fourth. Right. So he'd had a girl and a boy, then a girl, and he thought the fourth is going to be a boy. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Um, so my parents were teachers, but I think they were life coaches in their own right because they gave us such a, such a self-belief. My father was ahead of his time. He was an engaged father. Mm. And he was an engaged partner for my, for my mother, mother, I think. Yes. I think they made a very powerful duo. And uh, my mother was, a dis they were both disciplinarians, but the first level of discipline came from my mother. If that didn't <laughs> do it. Did it come to Oh, yes. He was a man of few words when he disciplined. He was a man of action. Yeah. But um, I was a daddy's girl. Okay. Pure daddy's girl. But what they did for us was whenever there was a major family decision to be made or major, major discipline to be metered to one of us, the dining room table became a conference table. My father at the head, my mother opposite him, and the six children, three on the side and three on the other side. And my father would pre present the issue. There's this and this going on, or we are doing this and this, and he'd go by seniority. Mevi unofunge, Gerald unofunge, Nyaradzo, Chipona, Kotine, unofunge. We'd each get an opportunity to weigh in. And then he'd say, your mother and I. It was never just me. Your mother and I were thinking this and this. What did that if, teach you? What is that taught you? I count. Mm. My opinion counts. Mm. I matter. I have a brain and I can, I can engage it. it and I have permission to express it. It's a little difficult when you go into an environment where you meet people who haven't been given that permission and they feel maybe you're expressing yourself or expressing your opinion is being forward. You now it's a threat. It's a threat. You now have to be tactful to be heard without being threatening. Mm. And that's always a tricky bit. Fascinating. Talk to me now about your decision to get into, to, to start your own business. Um, like I said before we took the break, 40.7 Blueprint. Yeah. And then the one that fascinates me is Self Central Institute. I mean, I, I am all for taking care of ourselves. Yeah. But what, what was the journey like for becoming an entrepreneur, from being an executive to an entrepreneur? Talk to me about that. Was, it was there discomfort? What made you do that? Actually, I started thinking of it in my 20s when I was sitting in the old mutual office. One of the things that old mutual did very well, and I want to think they still do it, was retirement planning sem seminars for certain people. I think they identified them through the pension plans that they, they ran. It was through the pensions department, which evolved into the employee benefits department. And what they do is they invite 
whoever the person who was in employment was and their spouse. And they would take them through this retirement planning program. Now, I was pretty young then. I was in my 20s. But understanding what was carried in that retirement planning and what was being mitigated made me realize that sometimes we leave retirement planning to a very late stage. You can't start planning your retirement at 50. It's too late because your energies are in your 20s and in your 30s and in your 40s and the opportunities are sitting in those spaces. So immediately I said to myself, what's not going to change that's going to keep my lifestyle the same? an income that is aligned to the economy of the day. The only way you're going to have an income that is aligned to the economy of the day is to have a, a going enterprise, mm -hmm. a running enterprise, while you're living in your twilight years. That was my motivation. Wow. It's ridiculous at 23, wow. 24 to think up, up like that. But that was my motivation. My intention was not to leave immediately, but to be very clear. Wow. That's to be intentional. What, in, intentional about planning. And at that early age, I would have five-year plans. If I'm going to do this, that's when I actually went to Rapid Results College mm -hmm. to get a certificate in PR and a certificate in marketing so that I wasn't just trained on the job. I actually had the technical training to understand what it was because I knew that being in that space, the likelihood of um, changing route was slimmer than than staying yeah. en route and adding to whatever I was doing. So that's when I started thinking. At the time, it was Fourth Dimension. I'd called my enterprise Fourth Dimension. And you dimension. had to change the name because there was a name clash. Yeah. There was a name clash, yeah. yeah. So I said, you know what? I haven't the capacity to fight for it. Mm. I can just sit here and think of another name. <laughs> Easy. So, so, so by the time we had to change names, I was already doing consultancy mm. work. So and what does what does uh, uh, 40.7 Blueprint do? What do you do? Let me come back to fourth dimension. Right. Fourth dimension, you see the world in three dimensions. Yes. And I'm one of those uh, born again, happy, clappy, ceiling cleaning Christians. Yes. <laughs> so whatever I do has to have an injection of who I am spiritually. So fourth dimension was the fourth dimension is always the spiritual dimension. You may have your own your other three physical dimensions, but you've got a spiritual yeah. dimension. That's why I named it that. So I wanted a name that kept true to my original thinking. 40.7 is a, is a biblical ratio. You always get prepared over a season of 40 days, mm. 40 years, 40 whatever. It's always that. Uh, if you go through your Bible, yeah. you'll see what I'm talking about. It's a season of preparation. There's a cycle of preparation that is biblical that runs over seasons of 40s. Seven is a, is a season of completion. Mm. Things are done in sevens. That's why 49 years, is, if there's a debt, 50th year, canceled. it's cancelled. It's cancelled because that's seven times seven. seven. Yes. So seven is a season of completion. You've gone full circle. You must give yourself permission to erase the past and start anew. And I want to believe God walks with you into that new, even if you were hurt in the earlier Amen. season. So that's why we called it 40.7 uh, Blueprint. What we're saying is we're a biblical blueprint. We don't take bribes. We don't give bribes. Mm. We don't do certain types of jobs if they conflict with our faith. So 
That's why 40.7 Blueprint. And you do um, what? Marketing and Marketing. corporate communications, mm. yes. Uh, anything that is in, in the space of communication, communicating with your publics. Yeah. Whether it's from the PR perspective, uh, stakeholder engagement perspective, marketing, or just getting your communication. Mm. Who are your key clients, uh, Dupont? Uh, can you name? Are you at liberty to name them? Some of them I'm at liberty to, to sure. name. Um, I've done work for Nyarado. I still do a little bit online. I get the, I get more calls. <laughs> I feel like a call center sometimes. Nyarado. I've done work for Divine Lugula. Those two people, Phil Mataranika and uh, Divine, Divine Lugula. Lugula, were two of the people who trusted me when I first started consulting. So they're very close to my heart. They started a teeny popper. Isn't it great to have people that trust you when you when you start? Yes. Because and they give, give you, you the a push. chance. Yes. And the good thing is they know you're starting and they know you're nervous. But they still believe in what is mm. inside of you. Mm. And they help you extract it. They mm. mine you, actually. Mm. They mind me. And uh, you're executive director of Self Central Institute. Talk to me about that. Self Central came out of me. Mm. Uh, when I was doing work for Old Mutual, who carried on consulting with me, and I, I do training for them. They are the ones who pivoted me into training. From the time that I did the training with Lukungwerume, I did more training. I, in fact, I trained the whole company in terms of grooming department around the country. And then they asked me to do other work, develop other modules, and I started doing that. That's when I decided to formalize and actually get trained and become a proper certified licensed life coach. And, and I did that. And Self Central Institute came out of that. It didn't make sense to let the coaching and training side sit with the marketing side. Although they both deal with people, they're very different in what they do for people. In marketing, you're helping people get out into the public sphere. In Self Central, in the coaching side, you're getting inside people and helping them reveal the best of who they are. Mm -hmm. And I needed to do that. And Old Mutual saw that in me before I saw it in myself. Mm. So Self Central Institute is centered around that. Self Central is named that I um, came from a friend. I said to him, he's, he's an advertising person, and uh, Thomas Musoni. I said to him, I want a name that tells people it starts from mm. within. The self is central to any other decision you make. How far you go in life mm. depends on how you mm. see yourself and how you put yourself out there and how you take all the resources within and use them for the external space. And he came up with Self Central. Beautiful. So it's called Self Central Institute. Some Christians have said to me, aren't you saying, no, I'm saying oh, no. Oh, yeah, no. No, God has deposited everything in me. That's all I'm saying. Mm. And I'm central to making it come out and manifest. That's so Self Central, how does Chipo lead herself yes how do you lead yourself how do i lead how myself? do you lead yourself i've learned what, what are your habits in being self-central my habits are i'm a very very early riser um what i had to learn is who i am and where i where my creativity or where my best work is done in terms of the time of day mm. and i'm an early riser 
no matter what day of the week it is, I'm up at 4.30. And I'm up either introspecting or reading something or looking for something. A lot of my, I've always got a notebook in my handbag. And that, <laughs> that notebook either transfers to my bedside or I have a second notebook at my bedside. I have to ask you this. When were you born? 1969. Oh, no. What, what, uh, what month? February the 16th, Interesting. 1969. I'm an old bird. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. So you're an early riser. You keep a notebook by your side. What yes. else? Um, when I talk to people and they see me writing, sometimes they think I'm writing what they're saying. Mm. I'm writing what I have been inspired to learn from them. Everybody is a learning experience for me. Everybody. That makes me You tick. can say that again. I'm, I'm a sponge. I, yes. I, I just sponge. And I don't necessarily squeeze out what they've told me. But I sponge it. I let, twirl let, it. Let it, let uh, it stew a little stew. bit. And then I bring out my mm, own thing. Mm. So I look like I'm very clever, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm an average person who's recognized what works for me. Mm. And I use it to the maximum. You know yourself? I know myself. Yes, I even know my weaknesses and I know when to bring somebody in to mitigate my own weakness. That's beautiful. Yes. What's the next big thing for you? The next big thing for me is through Self Central. I really believe Africa as a whole suffers from universal PTSD, hmm. which takes away a lot of our confidence even in spaces that we should shine as individuals in a continent that is still growing, that has still got room to shine. Everybody's eye is on Africa. Everybody's eye is on Zimbabwe. So I believe through my coaching, I can help people as individuals become the best versions mm -hmm. of themselves. If we're rocking the boat with PTSD, can you imagine what mm -hmm. we can do without it? Absolutely. Well, what, what is the one thing that you failed at? What's one thing that's humbled you? What have you gotten wrong in your life? There are two things. One in business and one in my personal life. I've taken some wrong turns um, and they've made me realize I don't know everything. <laughs> that's humbling, isn't it? Yes. And what it did... Uh, I, be I, I came to a ridiculous stage where even as I was doing my daily chores, I would be talking to God. I, it, it sounds very funny. I, I think do that all would, the time. Yeah. I do that when I'm driving. And you say, ah, Bukira and Sisa. You know, you're talking to God. <laughs> and you say, I don't understand this. Or these plates, I need a new set of plates. Became a friend. I became a friend, friendly with God. Um, Another thing that it taught me is starting afresh mm. is not a crime. Mm. You're not starting from a position of failure. You're starting from a position of learning. Wisdom. Yes. So I failed at business twice. 40.7 is my third attempt. Well, it, it failed. 40.7 failed twice because I couldn't pivot. Mm. I couldn't find my bearing when things in the economy changed. And this third time I've learned that rigidity causes breaks. You need to be rubber. Absolutely. You need to be rubber. So, yeah, so I've learned that from my own experiences. And I'm still learning just because I'm talking about it doesn't mean the learning no, is complete. No, no. The learning is it, still It's complete ongoing. when you're six feet under, isn't yes. it? Then you're done. Yes. Um, wow. <laughs> 
I've enjoyed talking to you. We could go on and on. And those two <laughs> coincidences, you, I don't think they're coincidences. I hope they're lessons out there, very important ones. You know I love books, eh? Yes. And I'm not going to let you go before you share your <laughs> books that you've you've uh, read with uh, with the audience. Um, people crucify me every time I forget this segment. So, what three books have you read that you want to share with 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 the, with the book loving audience, and why are you sharing them? In the past few years, um, I've reverted to. Reading the leadership books that I've read from. So Miles, you're rereading. I'm rereading. I'll tell you why. Miles Monroe and uh, John Maxwell. I've also taken to reading Joel Mutiswa and Dr. Mgaviri. Miles Monroe and uh, John Maxwell, because they were my first injection into reading about success and leadership mm. success, mm. particularly. Any specific but, books? Um, Any particular books, rather, for, from John Monroe and uh, the, John Maxwell? The 21 Irrefutable Rules of, rules uh, of Leadership. Leadership, yeah. Yes. That I, I, I'm rereading and looking at each of the 21. I read it like I read the Bible. Read and introspect and apply. I study, read. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, for Miles Monroe, I'm watching a video based on his book on black leadership. How we come into leadership with luggage that we need to unravel before we can truly lead. Mm. I can't remember the title of the video. It's just escaped me. But <laughs> leadership is the mindset, the attitude that makes a leader different from a follower. John Tizwa, I started reading because I knew him from the Delta days. And when I was at OK, he came for our strategic planning retreat and talked about governance. So I'm starting with his first book. Titles are not good. I'm, the Crucibles I'm, of Life. Yes. I've yes. read that book. Yes. I want to read and understand what those crucibles mm. are and where it applies to me. It's always about me, self-central, remember? <laughs> so I, I'm reading that. I'm still trying to see which one of Dr. Mgabiri's books I, mm. I read first. I haven't started on that one. But mainly because of leadership. And I started studied leadership when I did my master's. It was really entrepreneurial leadership in Zimbabwe. Why some entrepreneurial leaders succeed Your and MBA, have legacies eh? yes mm. uh, have legacies and mm. others don't mm. and th that's why i'm very interested in rereading it and seeing what works and seeing whether i can pick up nuggets that make mm. me an entrepreneurial leader or you, you know what, what you're saying there chipo is essentially we learn and grow when we focus on ourselves yes indeed it's about me yes <laughs> everything is about me how i react to it it's about me how I grow from it. It's about me how I respond to, yes. to things. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Awesome talking to you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for the Thank opportunity. Thank you so Thank much you. for having Thank me. You. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Allow me now to tend to our viewers who are all over the world. Thank you so much for supporting us uh, over the years. You know, I've been boasting about 8.2 million views. 
um, 55,000 subscribers, huge on TikTok, huge on Instagram. Thank you. Remember, we are a weekly show. We are out on YouTube, 7 a.m. Central African time. To ensure that you don't miss out on any of these quality conversations like the one I've had <laughs> with uh, Chipo here, please click here to subscribe. Remember to like, remember to share. And we enjoy your comments below uh, the video. We love your suggestions as to who should come onto, onto the show. We've gone a step further and created uh, a website where all our content sits. And uh, on that website, you'll find uh, podcasts for your listening pleasure. You listen as you're working, you listen as you are on, on the treadmill. Uh, thank you so much for your support. Until next time, cheers to you all.